We're going to talk about a number that is likely going to be a lot more meaningful as of November 30th. It's 988. And that number is going to be the new one for Canada's mental health crisis hotline. The feds announced yesterday they were going to put in $156 million into this initiative. Is it going to be enough to deal with the mental health crisis that we have going on here in our country? Our guest to talk about this is assistant professor in the School of Health Studies at Western University and a registered psychotherapist. Her areas of expertise expertise, excuse me, are mental health and wellness, resilience, and the creation of well-being, relationships between the media and mental health systems. That is quite the title and a lot of expertise that she is bringing into this conversation. Dr. Marnie Wedlake is joining us. Marnie, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. Let's just set the table a little bit and talk about what Canada's mental health crisis looks like, because we talk about this as if it's just something normal that is just kind of what's going on in our country. What is happening? You know, that's isn't that a huge question, right? And and I, we could be talking and we would still be here talking about it until November 30th. Isn't that something? Um, it's big. And, um, you know, crisis and uh, emotional challenges, these are part of life. Um, but if we take a step back and look at what actually causes people to go into crisis where their, their emotional well-being, their mental health starts to, uh, starts to crumble, starts to unravel in some way, and we look at what's happening to people rather than what's wrong with people, but what's happening to people. So mm. we know trauma, we know adversity, we know racism, we know oppression, we know poverty. We know all of these things cause people to experience significant uh, states of emotional distress. And so now this move to try to address some of those concerns and those people that are really facing major crises is this mental health hotline. So $156 million being invested into it. It sounds like a really big number. A hotline feels like the right answer. It was unanimously passed in the House of Commons. But is this, is this enough? What's the intention of this hotline going to do? Who is this for? Uh, short answer, is this enough? No. Nowhere near enough. Um, let's, let's get our heads around the idea. Let's go further upstream. So um, and I've been working in mental health. My first job was in 1986. So I've been doing this a long time. And we know without doubt that when it comes to our emotional well-being, prevention rather than reaction is the way to go. We know that. Nobody would argue against that. Yet if you look at what goes on and we look at the services, the supports, the treatment forms, et cetera, et cetera, that are commonly available, commonly accessible, most of them come from this place of reacting, mm. right? So, so I don't for one second think a, a, a national line is a bad thing. I think it's great. That's sure. great. We've got something more because when someone's in crisis, they're, they need something, right? But does it actually get at the reasons why people fall into crisis? And the answer is definitively no, it doesn't. Right. We then have to go back to this idea of the social determinants, right? The things that, you know, if kids are born into poverty, kids are born into states of, of intergenerational trauma, um, people are living with the impact of uh, war, they've come from another nation and they're, they're new to Canada, they're living with the impact of war. I mean, people are living without housing, with safe, safe, safe and affordable housing here. These things are directly related to and direct causal factors when it comes to states of emotional distress, mild, moderate, and severe. So while a, a, a national line is a great thing, it's a great step in the right direction, it's another form of reaction to the crisis that's already, uh, you know, hot and, and, and burning, burning hotly. I mean, certainly, you know, we all know with the pandemic that uh, um, a lot of people are dealing with uh, greater financial 
uh, crises than they already have. So we have more people who are facing these sorts of things. So again, great addition to what's available in Canada, but it's a, 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 a resource that is based on reaction rather than prevention. I'm glad that you put it like that because I read that there are 12 Canadians that take their lives a day. And obviously mm-hmm. that is a number that we would like to reduce down to zero. We don't want to see anyone mm-hmm. losing their lives to suicide. But if you think that this hotline is for the people that are in crisis and at risk of considering taking their lives, I would argue, and maybe you can talk about this and speak to this, that the number of people that are living with something that is is eating away at them and causing them uh, you know, really, um, I think, a bad impact on their quality of life is a lot higher than... Twelve. So what oh, are massive. what it's are the next massive. right? So what are the next steps that we should be doing as a country to try to be repairing the likely millions of people that are dealing with some form of mental health that might not be considered a crisis in that needs a hotline but needs attention. Right. We we have to. I I believe I believe, and the research supports this. I mean, this has been discussed at the level of the United Nations Human Rights Council. Right? Is that if we start to look at what are the reasons why people live with states of distress, it's not because they have a brain chemistry issue. It's not because they've genetically inherited something. It's because they're living with too much burden, too much stuff in their lives that is causing to feel distressed. Again, we're looking at trauma, we're looking at adversity, we're looking at oppression, racism. I mean, by the time someone gets to a post-secondary education in Canada, students going into post-secondary education in Canada, one-third to a half of those kids have had at least one adverse childhood experience in their in their lives. Those start to stack up. So if we, as a, as a nation, as a, as a collection of really compassionate and interested people could get our heads around the idea of taking a social determinants perspective when it comes to mental health, rather than a biomedical let's react when somebody falls apart, I think we would go a long way to addressing a large portion of what's out there in terms of states of distress where people are either they're to the point where they take their own lives by suicide or as you say, they're living with such seriously compromised well-being because they're so distressed by what's going on. Just reiterate that. So you're talking about people from a young age experiencing some form of trauma. Remind us, uh, what was that? What was that age? Right. So, so, so from you know pre-birth because intergenerational trauma, as we know, sure. what you're born into has an impact, right? So pre-birth, what you're born into, right on through. So you know the stats I think are somewhere around age 18. So when someone gets to um, the the stage where they're going to post-secondary education, we look at what has happened in their lives in that that period of of sort of birth, pre-birth, birth through to uh, into emerging adulthood, and that's the time when our core narrative is shaped, when the stuff that we internalize, the experiences we have really shape our sense of ourselves and our sense of ourselves in relation to others and our sense of ourselves in relation to the world around us. And if that time period is overly burdened without proper remediation by things like trauma, poverty, adversity, racism, oppression, intergenerational trauma, then you almost guarantee that that young person is going to grow up into someone who is going to struggle, at least to some degree, mild, moderate, sometimes severe, with their emotional well-being. That's the way it works. So what would you then suggest? Intervention or support, some form of support structure introduced at a younger age, maybe part of our education system? What do you think would be the right course of action here? Uh, let's look as a nation at why we have children living in poverty who go to school without food in their belly. Why do we have people living in encampments on a street somewhere in a city? Why do we have people who are living with the impact of trauma, with the impact of adversity? Why do we have that in our society? And what can we do to address those issues? That would go a long way to addressing 
the uh, emotional well-being of everyone in this nation. I mean, let's look at in- intergenerational trauma. Why do we have First Nations all across this federation that are struggling, drowning under the weight of intergenerational trauma? Let's ask those questions and let's say, what can we do to put things in place to address those under this larger umbrella of the social determinants of mental health, rather than reacting when someone falls apart? Dr. Wedlake, thank you so much for your expertise. Really appreciate having you on the show. Appreciate the opportunity. Take good care. Of course. Yeah, you too. That's Dr. Marnie Wedlake, Assistant Professor in the School of Health Studies at Western University and a registered psychotherapist.